Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. And we're live for another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew 3 Project. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Bishop um, David Perrin. Welcome, Bishop Perrin. Hey, it's a joy to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Great, great. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to have you on today. Uh, For those who don't know who you are, can you just give a little bit of background? Um, for our listeners? Well, I am the founder and, and overseer of the National African American Missions Conference, which is celebrating its fifth annual uh, celebration right now, conference coming up in June. I also pastor the Christ Kingdom Church, which is located in District Heights, Maryland. And I oversee Boundless Ministries, which is a missions uh, mobilization ministry. Awesome. That's so awesome. And it's it's so important to what we're talking about today. African-American missionaries is something uh, you don't hear much about. And I have a friend that's actually on the mission field full time. And he talks about um, the fact that there aren't many African-Americans out there on the foreign mission field. Um, what was your uh, reason behind starting this organization and why did you see it as important to have uh, a national organization and conference dedicated to African-American missionaries? Well, I, uh, I've been pastoring some 40 years and initially I would say I was wholeheartedly mentally committed to the Great Commission. I wasn't committed to going. Um, and I had a member in our church, her name was uh, Gail Peters who wanted to go to Jamaica. And she said, Pastor, I want to go to Jamaica and do missions work. And I said, okay, we'll pay for you to go. We paid for her to go. And she came back and said, you've got to go, Pastor, you've got to go. And I said, I will pay for you to go. Uh, I never went with her to Jamaica, but I ended up going to Guyana with some other members of our church. And when I got there, I was overwhelmed with what I saw. Um, first, there was such a great need for ministerial equipping and training and uh, ministry in Guyana. There were so few pastors that had, had more than a Sunday school education. And so um, I said to God, I'll give you my life for uh, Guyana. And he said, no, what I want you to do is go home and mobilize your brothers and sisters for missions. Mm. And what I found as I traveled over the last 40 years is the question would always be, where are the blacks? Where are the African-Americans? Do they care about us? Do they even know uh, the tremendous things that are going on in the world related to Africans and diaspora and so forth. And so I have constantly come back home after trip after trip after trip to mobilize African-Americans for world missions. And that's how it begun for me, right from Guyana to 40 years later, still mobilizing and trying to encourage African-Americans to be on mission. That's awesome. Why do you think there's not many African-Americans doing foreign missions? Is there an issue with, I know fundraising has been a challenge for many missionaries. Um, so it, it is an obstacle in that regard. Do you think it's just the desire or just we have so much going on as far as African-Americans in the States, there's that they might not see a need 
uh, we might not see a need to go overseas. Yeah, it's a challenging historical kind of question that you posed. First, there was a real movement among African-Americans to go on mission, and they ran into the whole segregated racist kind of period of American history where uh, the American government, the sending agencies, the denominations, actually even working with the governments, uh, opposed African-Americans going on missions. So uh, Bethune-Cook, uh, someone who wanted to go on mission and was denied going, ended up establishing the school that's become her famous name. But there are a number of others like that as well. So that's the first one period of history that we have to deal with is that there were many African-Americans that wanted to go, but because of racist tendencies within the country, could not go. The next is that once we ran into the civil rights period, um, we turned our attention to the kind of issues that were facing us to obtain equality and voting and other rights of privileges of the citizenship and kind of never got out of that We, because one, the struggle has never ended. So black lives still matter. And, um, the kinds of incidents that we're still facing today, right up till today. And those have been things that pastors have turned their hearts to. And then thirdly, there's been the financial issues that have taken place. And it's a mixed bag because we're rich as a group of people. It's not that we don't have money. It's how we choose to use money mm. and how churches choose to use money and the kinds of ways that we do ministry. And so. Mm -hmm. Consequently, there's a problem that, that exists there, um, but it makes funding an, an issue that really has to be dealt with to get missionaries on the field. Lastly, I would say that the, the big challenge is not that African-Americans are not involved in mission endeavors. Most of our endeavors at this point are now involved in what would be called short-term. Now, short-term mission endeavors, definition-wise, can go from one to two years uh, generally, when we say it as African-Americans, we mean one to 10 days. And so people would go to places like Jamaica and uh, other Caribbean islands, Africa, but they'd stay for one to 10 days. And there's a lot of that that's taking place, a lot more than most people would realize. What is not taking place is what you talked about, is vocational mission efforts. And there's a little bit of a mixed bag there as well. Like when you look at Lot Carey, which is a real strong African-American movement for missions. They are involved in raising up the indigenous population and equip, equipping them and empowering them uh, to do missions, which is a great strategy. It is a strategy for mission involvement today. It is not the only, and certainly biblically, God has always sent people from everywhere to everywhere. It's kind of amazing. It's like, wow, you know, fall to the, uh, to the Gentiles and so forth, and uh, to the Romans, I mean, to the, to the um, Pharisees and so on, to, and Peter to the uh, group that he was sent to. It's so amazing how God has worked it out. So those are some of the things that have stood in the way and kind of a historical overview. Hope it didn't give you too much. No, that's good. I think that helps us see the full picture of why things are the way they are. What are the challenges uh, apologetically um, that that you see most on the mission field, especially in in Africa? 
Give me a little bit more so I'm sure of what you're... Like, what are the objections as they go and do missions? What are the objections uh, to Christianity? What do the missionaries face? Um, how, what are the most common questions you get when they're trying to um, do mission work in other countries and share the faith with people? What are the common objections that that uh, that you hear from the that the missionaries report back to you? Actually, and and I've been some of everywhere now. The mission field is really wide open and very receptive to African Americans coming and sharing the gospel. Um, more than most of us would realize. I think one of the things that we don't realize is that, of course, our own country is not an apostasy. And overseas, the third world countries, as they're called, have now become the uh, upholders of the faith. So they're sitting where you sit, and they're looking at us as to, like, what in the world has happened? Y'all have absolutely gone crazy. you no longer holding on to Jude 3. And so really there's an excitement for those that are coming. There's a desire to see them involved, to have them involved, to have them to share the resources, talents, information, knowledge, and so on. The opposition, if there would be opposition, would come as you're trying to reach the unreached. And those unreached, of course, come with their own faith, which might be Buddhism, Hinduism, animism, uh, Islam. So as you approach those particular people groups to be able to share the gospel with them, then there you run into the same historical kind of opposition that you run into, whether you're in America, to say, um, I'm I'm a Muslim and here's what we believe and here's the tenets of our faith and being able to uh, talk with them and dialogue with them about the differences between Christianity and Islam would become standard kinds of things. But as far as people in general in Africa and India and China, um, you find that the those that are there that are seeking to spread the gospel, they are excited to receive African-Americans. We were in Japan. And first of all, Japanese like gospel music. Oh. Yeah, which surprised me. Um, but they really love gospel music. And so through the music itself is a way to be able to evangelize Japanese uh, young people because they love to sing our songs. And that's true in a good bit of Europe um, as well. So some of the some of the major advances that have taken place have taken place because of gospel music. In fact, at this year's conference that we're doing, There'll be a 30-voice African-Japanese choir uh, that will be a part of the ministry. And it's an African-American brother, Jet, uh, who will be leading them and has given his life to do that. So we're looking forward to that. And that's the kind of involvement of, like, it's incredible. Yeah, that's amazing. I would have never, never thought that. Um, what as it relates to missions, I've been hearing that other countries are sending missionaries to the U.S. Uh, to to evangelize. Uh, how how much truth is that? Now, there's how a, much? There's a lot of truth to that. There's a growing need in our country for 
um, evangelism, discipleship. We are, uh, a few years ago, I went to Europe and Europe was dead. The tremendous, beautiful cathedrals that had been built, they were all empty, they had become museums. And I kind of thought, wow, you know, that's not our country. And now, a few years later, you, you come back and you see this kind of postmodern thinking, this empiricism and um, way of thinking, the millennials trend, trend of thought and so on. And it's amazing. And so we, we need people to come and share with us the gospel. And sometimes many of our ministers have also been trained under that type of philosophy. So they don't believe the gospel. Um, it's very similar to your experience when you talk about your first year in, in the religious class and it says, I'm going to show you the Jesus that you never knew and kind of rocked your, your faith. That's very common now in America. Mm-hmm. And as a result, we need missionaries. Mm-hmm. That's very true. We definitely have to mobilize. Um, f- what was the motivation behind the conference and kind of give us some details be- uh, about what's going to be happening at the conference that's coming up in June. Yeah, the motivation again was that once again, the question that's always asked is that missionary becomes synonymous with white Anglo Saxon. So when you went someplace, they felt like if you say, oh, the missionaries are here, they expected to see whites. They did not expect to see African Americans. And so we decided to say, how can we equip, network, and mobilize African-Americans for world missions? That was the genesis of the conference. It started from there. Um, we then pulled together a group of people across the board, different parts of the country that had that same energy and same desire. And that's, that's the emphasis for the conference, and to equip, network, mobilize African-Americans. Mm-hmm. Three-part conference. Um, we realized that it's very important to equip children and to share with them and give them a a vision for missions. So there's a full children's conference that takes place. And this is not babysitting. This is not um, bring your child and there's something for them to do. This is truly exposing them to the history of African-Americans in missions, to games and excitement that will help them to become fully uh, aware of the mission field and mission state. And that so they avoid stereotypes that they'll see that you can still be a doctor, still be a lawyer, still be an uh, engineer, still be a computer expert, still be a farmer or any agricultural specialist, anything like that, and still be used by God on the mission field. Then there's a youth conference, and it's a complete, total youth conference that will take place. And again, it'll have its own speakers as the children will have their own speaker. In fact, Many of the, in the children's conference, they'll actually be children who have gone on mission who will be the speakers. Oh, wow. Uh, that's cool. Well, speakers, but but uh, that's exciting to see that happen. And then the same is true with the youth. And then there'll be the adult conference, as well as uh, outstanding plenary speakers that will be a part of that. Pastor John Jenkins, who's an outstanding minister of the gospel, um, and has a tremendous missions outreach. I think they're giving over a million dollars a year in missions right now. And so we're excited to, to hear from speakers like that. Um, outstanding sister Loretta will be there, whose uh, husband and her have founded a great ministry. And they will be one of the plenary speakers. 
And then there'll be workshops, over 30 workshops that will take place. There'll be internationals from around the world that'll be there so people will be able to connect with them, have them in their churches as well before the, before the conference and after the conference. Um, it's just an exciting, rich time where you'll be able to talk with missionaries, African-American missionaries, have lunch with them, ask questions directly as to uh, how does this work? How do you go and take your children? How do they get educated? How do you raise support? Uh, what about the kind of crises around the world in terms of terrorism? How do you face that language acquisition? Um, how do you deal with two and three different languages and always speak as English? So it's, it's an exciting, rich time. Mm -hmm. How do you, um, I know there's been talk about the, the fact that sometimes when missionaries go overseas, they do more harm than good. Is there, um, in some, in some groups, is there, how is, how do you make sure that the missionaries are effective or have you heard that pushback about um, sometimes missionaries go over when they go short term and like building houses and things of that nature do more harm to the area than good? Yeah, um, I definitely have heard that. I think the part of what the workshops and the training and equipping is all about is to expose groups that are going to issues that they need to be sensitive to. And it's a wonderful thing to go, but you do want to be effective and you, you want to meet uh, needs and not simply be used, uh, but to really be well focused. One of the things that we try to do is to emphasize the seven standards of excellence in short-term missions. And it's something that we try. We're actually issuing a certification program this year, which will be uh, for the purpose of training groups to really understand how and when are we effective. And so the seven standards of excellence and, and of uh, support is, is really important. It works on both sides so that the team over there is saying, hey, here's what we're really about. And here's on the other side, here's what we're about. And then how do we bring those two together to where there's really a mutual benefit and nobody's getting exploited? Mm -hmm. Do you find that African-Americans are more sensitive to those issues of contextualization than maybe our, uh, our white brothers and sisters? Because we are, we always have to know both sides. Like we have to know the, the white world and the black world um, in order to navigate in the United States in general um, effectively. So does that make us better equipped when we go over to engage other countries? Well, I know that we definitely tend to have an advantage in African or diaspora situations, whether it's Brazil, which of course has the largest African diaspora country in the world. But we, we tend to have an advantage in that we relate directly uh, because white racism is real throughout the world. And so as a result, we feel and understand a good bit of the oppression and um, that takes place with people around the world. And we've, we look like, until you open your mouth, very oftentimes, you, you're right in you know, with the people. In fact, when I go oftentimes in the marketplaces, I just don't say anything. Uh, I just keep listening so that I can understand what's being sold and what prices and, and so on. But once you open your mouth, then it's clear that you are uh, a Galilean. You know? But 
No, I, I think that we, we do have a, a chance, a better chance to relate, and people do relate well to us. Um, again, you understand yourself a lot better. I know it's helped me tremendously to appreciate who I am, uh, why colors, dress, style, flair, singing, movement, acting, drama, all of that comes in. And you see yourself and you realize, like, we are of this people. And this people is of us. And um, they are, you know, mama and papa and grandmothers. And it, it just, everything fits. Uh, what you're sad about is that there's so little connection between us in an international sense, um, so that when something takes place around the world like Syria, uh, but that Syria is Nigeria, that Syria is Sen Senegal, or that Syria is Benin, that we as a group don't have that identification. We're still like, I ain't black. You know, don't be calling me black. Don't be calling me African. Well, no, I am African. Um, and I'm proud to be African. So those are the things that breaks my heart, that, that there's a disassociation, not yet clear enough, between us on an international level that it affects the White House and it affects Congress and some of the things that have taken massacres, that have taken genocides, that have taken place, that we weren't able to make a difference and say that the United States should have acted sooner mm -hmm. and could have acted sooner. Mm -hmm. That's that's a very 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 good point, and I think uh, it needs to be uh, needs to be brought to the forefront. Um, for those who are interested in getting involved in missions or want to attend the missions conference, or want to just find more info about what you all are doing, um, where can they go? Our website is the first place for all the information on this year's conference. It would be www.thenaamc.org, thenaamc.org, and that would provide them with the information that they need on this up-and-coming conference. The conference will be June 22nd through the 24th. It's in McLean, Virginia, or Tyson's Corner, or Vienna, Virginia. Any one of those that people identify, they're all the same area. And it's held at the McLean Bible Church Conference Center, uh, which is a wonderful, beautiful place. It's been there for the last three years. And um, from there, they can get information that they would need. They can also email info at the naamc.org. Info at the naamc.org. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bishop Perrin. This has been a rich time, uh, and I appreciate all you do in trying to mobilize us as African Americans on the global mission field. Amen. It's been a joy to learn about Jude 3. I'm excited, in fact, as I went through the resources and the kinds of seminars and workshops that you present, there's a real close tie-in um, that some of the courses that you do are just mainline courses that we need to to have as a part of our certification and as a part of workshops that take place within our conferences. Wonderful time. Great work you're doing. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, you can catch all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com or you can subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. 
by searching the Jude 3 Project. You can also get better equipped with our Bible Engagement app by searching the App Store, Google Play, or Apple App Store by searching the Jude 3 Project, and that will help you better engage Scripture on a daily basis. If you would like to donate to the Jude 3 Project, go to jude3project.com and hit the Donate tab. In addition, you can follow us on, in, on social media by searching at Jude3Project on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, here at the Jude3Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.